Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. back to Beyond the Fence Line. I'm Chad Ellis, the CEO of Texas Agricultural Land Trust. And, you know, I just want to start off the year of just really pray that everyone has a blessed and prosperous 2023. I know we're looking of another great year at TALT and helping empower uh, our land stewards across the state. I really want to kind of start off this month's podcast by really saying I'm really looking forward to today's conversation and visiting with my good friend and counterpart, in California, Mr. Uh, Michael Delbar of the California Rangeland Trust. This is actually going to be a, a fun and, and really great uh, co-hosted, actually crossover podcast of Beyond the Fence Line and Tuned Into the Land. Uh, it's a, I'm looking forward to it, Michael. Thanks, Chad. So am I. This is going to be a, the first time we've done something like this. And we're down here, we're over here or up here, wherever you may be in, in Denver, Colorado, for our annual partnership of Rangeland Trusts meeting, board meeting. Port, as we call it, is a group of nine western states that have formed together to pursue the conservation of our working lands, both rangeland and agricultural lands. Collectively, port members have over 3 million acres conserved, and that's pretty darn impressive. That's awesome. I mean, and we kind of think about, you know, I think the other end is, you know, we think about the pressures that we're, you know, receiving today of how many, you know, acres we're losing. I think we have harder pressures on us today as land stewards, right, and landowners of, of um, development and, and uh, you know, just a lot of different things to help us that freedom to operate. And uh, that's what I love about Port and our group and all of us coming together. We're all in different states and have, you know, a little bit different situations maybe, but there's a lot of, you know, common ground and we learn a lot from one another and uh, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. And that's what's that's what's great about the conversations. Uh, looking forward to this week's meeting in Denver. Uh, it's been a, the, the organization has been a great tool for all of us. Uh, some are newer members are South Dakota and Nebraska and being able to learn, as you said, Chad, from each of our members as we sit around the table at this one meeting a year in person and we give our state of the state addresses, so to speak. We talk about everything that's going on in our states and it's always amazing how many differences there are, but how many similarities there are. We're all fighting the same battles. All of our landowners are trying to do what they can to stay on the land. These families, multi-generational in many cases, and the battles that we fight both locally and nationally, and particularly the the to discuss the policy issues that really impact not just us in the, in the land conservation world, but in the agricultural world altogether, they're making it really a challenge to, to stay on the land. No, it is great. I mean, I, I think one of the things that highlight is, is uh, that joint of us coming together, those nine states and, and uh, you know, our voices are much louder. And, and as you mentioned, three, three million acres. And I know for us, we have a whole lot more acres and a lot of projects coming this next year. I mean, we're we're looking at uh, probably a dozen or more. Um, you know, this you know, our physical year is actually in March, Michael, which is hard for me. I always kind of mess up on my my physical years of just the March uh, time frame. But 
you know, I'm excited. We're, we're about to close our 15th year as an organization. And, you know, what's even better about this is in 15 years, we're going to reach of 50 families that we're going to help empower. Right. And keep that legacy wow. and heritage together. So I'm like super excited about that. Um, we're going to reach 300,000 acres. Um, and, and more importantly, I, I think we're on our verge of actually closing out our first fundraise of our uh, forever Texas fund. Wow. And uh, that that's an endowment that helps uh, steward uh, Talt. And um, I, I just I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited about 2023 for sure. You know, it's our our 2022 was a good year for California Rangeland Trust. We closed seven projects, which is about 8,500 acres. But we have another 14 that we anticipate closing in 23. Uh, I don't know those acres off the top of my head, but collectively right now we have 371,000 acres conserved. You're catching up. Uh, but we're on in and, and 2023. This year is our 25th anniversary. So it's a big year for us for celebration, celebrating what we've achieved in the past. And then, of course, celebrating what we're going to achieve with all of our landowner partners and supporters in the future. It's going to be a big year. That's uh, awesome. I mean, it's it's exciting, exciting times for sure. You know, I think, you know, one of the things that I know you guys in, in California, us at Texas are really working towards is, you know, it's what I kind of call beyond the you know, just beyond just conservation easements, right? That's our bread and butter, but we're always trying to find ways um, how we can help empower, you know, our fellow land stewards right. of finding other financial mechanisms. What are other ways that we can talk about the issues that we have ahead of us and, and think about different ways. And, um, you know, I think one of those is you, you, uh, California has done your kind of a uh, evaluation of ecosystem services, right. Uh, report and research. And, and we just finished up ours this last year. I'd like to really kind of dive in a little bit about that and have, you know, a little bit further discussion of, of, you know, like California's report and then maybe us about Texas. And then how do we utilize those numbers like from port, right? Do we have this, this uh, kind of mechanism and this, this collaboration, right? Of the R9 and how do we use those numbers from a, a broader beyond our state line? You know, we, we weren't sure, frankly, when we embarked on our study that was done by UC Berkeley, you know, what the results were going to be uh -huh. and what we we're going to do with the, with the results. It was one of those things where we knew intuitively that the value that our landowners were producing to the people of California was very valuable, but we didn't know how to describe that other than it's really valuable. Right. And that was hard to, for some folks to understand. And what we learned through our report, and if, if anybody's listening now that would, look to would like to learn more, season one, episode three of Tuned Into the Land is an episode with Dr. Lynn Hunsinger from UC Berkeley. We're going to a, a lot more detail. But the report showed that on an annual basis, the ecosystem services provided by only 306,000 acres of our conserved land totaled $1.44 billion a year in value and just on 306,000 acres. That's incredible. The return on investment to conserve those lands is $1.47. Nope, got that wrong. $3.47 for every dollar invested. That's amazing. That alone, and that's a, you know, if I can get 3.5% or 350%, on my investment, I would take that any day. I take it all day long. So what we 
did with this is we really got it out there far and wide and really put an emphasis on those results to our elected officials and policymakers. And I think that really made an impact because what we saw was the the understanding that while this this work is really valuable, conserving these lands is really valuable and it's invaluable to their constituents. So this year we have seen in California uh, a budget allocation of about $250 million into one agency, which is a primary funder for us on the state side. So that's that's huge. So we think that the success of the work that we're doing here is really starting to pay off, so to speak. Yeah, I'm envious. Uh, you know, in Texas, we're, we're trying to just, you know, scrape any kind of dollar we can, you know, towards this conservation. And, you know, that's that's the thing that uh, Dr. Roel Lopez and I kind of started of doing the Texas, our Texas assessment. Um, you know, frankly, Michael, I, I kind of got tired of uh, um, starting off meetings and giving talks and talking about the California report is what uh, <laughs> Dr. Lopez and I kind of uh, called it. And uh, I was like, OK, uh, Roel, I, I can't go to another meeting and talk about the California report. We need our Texas report. And so we worked pretty hard this last uh, year um, with your help and, and Dr and Lynn and others in California to kind of understand the way you approached it. You know, our, our way we had to take it a little, you know, approach a little different um, just from the data sources that we had. But uh, what we ended up doing and, and I wanted something a little bit different. So what's what's a little bit different about the Texas than the California is we actually put a statewide assessment. I really wanted a tool that was avail available for everyone in Texas um, that could utilize that tool to, for uh, multiple analysis. So we were able to actually put a dollar figure on 11 ecosystem services and we rolled that in. Um, the tool will be kind of added into the Texas Agland uh, portal that you can kind of go up and you can pick per county. Right. When we think about our landscapes, even in California or Texas, you know, from one end to the state to the other end of the state are totally different. Right. And so we wanted to be able to give, a, you know, empower you know, someone in West Texas to see kind of what those values, right? And we have different values and different agricultural enterprises and values from West Texas to East Texas, you know, from a forested to a rangeland state. And so we developed that. But on average, what we came up with, and these are very conservative numbers, is uh, $629 per acre. Um, when we kind of start adding, thinking that through 141 million acres of privately working lands across the state, we're pushing right at $90 billion. Wow. Right. That is, that's and, impressive. And that's amazing. And, and I think one thing is to kind of flip is the other side. And I think that's what we need to do. And I, I think we, we fail a lot of times because we want to talk about, Hey, it's, it's X amount, right? We want to stop. We stop there with the conversation. And I think we need to think about, you know, what's it costing us if we don't invest. Right. And that's where I want to get Texas to the point of like you're saying in California, you guys having, you know, $250 million towards conservation, you know, in Texas, uh, we're competitive, right? And uh, we're winning the race of land fragmentation. We're roughly losing a thousand acres a day of our working lands. All right. So if we think about that and we kind of run the numbers, it's 365,000 acres roughly we're losing a year. And we take that six hundred and you know twenty nine dollars, we're we're basically losing two hundred and thirty million dollars, right? That's an economic, and that's just one year, and that's not adding that those acres aren't coming back, right? We're right. losing those 
you know, year after year after year. So what's it cost us if we don't invest? And, and that's where I'm excited of how do we utilize, you know, these numbers. Um, also, what I like about is we have this disconnect from agriculture and what you and I are deep in our souls. Right. And, and it's part of our DNA and many others that we work with and our clients. And this gives us an opportunity, I think, to share to all of the public, right, of the importance of those land stewards. And we need those land stewards to provide so many ecosystem services of, you know, clean air, clean water, um, you know, open space and et cetera. You know, we talked about the the value of the, on the California report and the we too looked at all those ecosystem services, but the one that we didn't, and for California, and this was mm-hmm. a big one, yeah. is the benefit of fuel management for wildfires. That's huge. That yeah. was not included because the data wasn't available. And I think if that was included, that that one point four four billion would be a lot bigger. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that we have to be, you know, highlight when we talk about these numbers. These are conservative. It's hard, mm-hmm. right? We, and I think to me, it's just like, you know, the California report, the Texas report, it's a foundation. And we start building upon that more research, more data comes and uh, it'll, it'll, you know, all come together and, and help us. What are other ways that we can add that value to our, to our landowner partners? As you mentioned, the easement is great. And it's a great tool. It's not for everybody, but for those who want to use it or need to utilize it, it's a great tool. But those benefits are still being provided even after the easement and those that open space, that wildlife habitat, all those ecosystem services. What ways can we provide or work to provide additional monetary benefits to these landowners? Yeah. So I think, you know, I think actually these reports that we're talking about kind of help some of that conversation. You know, I think it's adding that value of opening up marketplaces, right? Of, of uh, it cost us to manage these lands, right? It cost us, and there's a, you know, there's a cost of us developing clean water, clean air. You know, unfortunately, when we think about the, you know, the history, we haven't got paid for all that work. And, but I think we're starting to, the stars are starting to align. We're starting to see more and more marketplaces, right? You know, the one that I think gets the biggest uh, attention right now is the carbon markets. And those are opportunities, um, you know, for landowners. And, and, you know, there's a lot of landowners sitting on the sideline, rightfully so, and should be right. And being cautious of, of that and not jumping in, you know, both feet forward. But the thing is, is that those carbon markets are real. We've seen over a billion dollars traded right in these last year, the last couple of years. Um, on, on our uh, working lands kind of agricultural um, opportunities. And so it's us trying to find ways and help. And that's one thing at TALT that we're really trying to do, Michael, is kind of build a, um, a trusted hub of information around ecosystem services, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. And this is all kind of a, a new frontier and a new kind of wild, wild west, if you, if you want to call it that. And so we want to be able to, to help people and provide that service of them calling us. And just as we would a conservation easement of saying, you know, here's the pros and cons, right? And, and let us help you, you know, what are the goals and objective of your family operation and, and help them kind of make the best decisions is first off, is it the right thing for them? Um, and if it is something they want to go for, what is the right marketplace that fits those goals and objectives? Because that's the other piece that's that's important. 
And I think more importantly is how do these things blend together, right? How does a conservation easement and how can you stack other values, et cetera? You know, in California, we have obviously in the especially in Northern California and in in our mountain ranges on the East and West, a lot of timber. Uh-huh. And so the regulated carbon market through, right. the, through the timber programs are gaining more uh, interest and they're pretty laid out what the rules are and it's easier to follow. It's a regulated market. Right. But then right. the quote voluntary market right. and that is the one in which uh, the grasslands would, would apply. Personally, I don't see it very voluntary. The, the rules are <laughs> laid out and it kind of defeats the purpose of the word voluntary in my opinion. But it really makes it a challenge, like you said, for landowners to understand, well, what are the rules? Right. How does this work? And finding a way in which a landowner could be compensated for that work that they're doing, the risk they're taking, right. the, the challenges they're facing day in and day out, get them some compensation for the benefit that's not they're not just getting, but all of us are, are benefiting from. And you are very active in in this world in looking at these options. What do you see as potential opportunities for landowners to be compensated on the carbon side? Yes, but it maybe even other yeah. ecosystem services no. that aren't as onerous as the voluntary market that yeah. we see. Yeah, no, I think those are that's a good comment and question, Michael. Um you know, we're starting to see, and I, I think, you know, near future, how far is near future? You know, I would say in the next 24 months, I think we will see more opportunities, uh, uh, you know, come uh, forward for landowners. I think we're going to start seeing more and more kind of a biodiversity credits and opportunities, you know. And so, but the the first question is, was, well, what, what the hell is biodiversity, right? And then there's a different definition and thoughts from everybody. And so those kind of where those kind of start. Um, but when we kind of take another step back and we think from a corporate perspective, right. And we see how the carbon markets are happening, we're seeing, you know, sustainability goals and things, right. That, you know, by 2030, we're going to have X or by 2050, well, we're starting to see a lot of corporations develop biodiversity, um, goals. And so they have to find ways, uh, to meet those goals. And so I'd be, to me, that looks like that's opportunities. Um, to me, and, and kind of a little bit, maybe what you're talking about on the carbon side as well is I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, this hundred dollar per ton carbon that that's not going to ever be there in my mind. It's really about stacking uh, these ecosystem services and getting paid for multiple of them. Right. Of all of that land stewardship that you're doing and putting on the land. So if say if I got fifteen dollars for my carbon, but I got another fifteen dollars on a biodiversity you know, there's water markets out there too. So, you know, if I got another $20 on a water, on a water market, then all of a sudden, you know, I'm making 60, 80 bucks an acre that, you know, am I going to get rich on that? No, but it's going to help me with my management, my decisions exactly. and, and, uh, you know, help me try to try to, you know, maybe one of these years stay in the black, right? <laughs> it could make the difference right there. There's not a, not a big mar- a profit margin there. So that could really make the difference, but a lot of those monies go right back into the land. Exactly. It goes back into the management and doing things right. And it's it's hard to do that when you're operating in the red. 
but we still do it, but it makes it really hard. So if this could be that extra bonus to it's, help get us there. Well, it starts actually putting an ROI, right? Back to think about the reports. It starts giving us an ROI from a, a you know, land manager, landowner perspective, a ROI back to conservation and putting some of those things, right? And, and helping us invest into that, the future. And, and to me, it's the long game too, right? And, and when we think about, when we think about conservation, we think about, you know, all of these things and these ecosystem services, you know, there's pieces that it's hard to put, you know, some dollar figures on, especially from a cattle management side, right? When we're building resiliency to be able to work through droughts a little bit better, we're able to kind of handle floods a little bit better with, you know, better soil health, better, you know, management on that side. And there, and that's, that's a lot of value there, but how do we capture that value? You know, one of the things kind of talking about this conversation, Michael is, um, you know, and kind of back to you don't know what you don't know. You know, one thing that we did this last year is we developed a, a 101 around carbon. So it was really about uh, here are key questions to ask on the marketplaces. And it actually goes beyond carbon. It You know, you could utilize these. And I think it's really important. And, and you know, I'd really highlight everybody to kind of go to that document. We built that document kind of, you know, not just in the silo. We brought a lot of different partners. We had some lawyers in the room as well of, you know, one is what is, what are the commitments of whatever marketplace it is? You know, uh, you know, I think that's, that's really key of kind of one of your, you know, like you said, it doesn't seem too voluntary. What are those commitments? What, what's required on you? How's the compensation? You know, how am I getting paid? What am I getting paid for? Um, you know, who's, who's paying for, you know, verification and, and measurement and things of that nature, depending on what it is, what are those true costs, you know, um, and the long-term commitments. Exactly. And, you know, I think the other side too, to think about is the restrictions, right? You know, what are, uh, you know, some of these marketplaces have, um, you know, may specify prohibited practices that you're normally do. And that's part of your operation or restrict your ability to participate in other government, uh, or other programs. Right. And so you have to kind of know, it's, it's not just as simple as just jumping in and signing, right? You need to kind of go through that and always really, um, you know, encourage everyone to, to, you know, just like any agreement, you really need a lawyer there to help you and, and uh, kind of, you know, negotiate those deals too. Well, if the landowner's not careful, there's a lot of programs out there that sound really good, very yep. beneficial, yep. very lucrative in a sense, but it's that, that, that fine print so to speak, that we really need to watch for. So that type of data and information that you're providing is extremely valuable to, to landowners. It is. And, you know, unfortunately, when we think about this and I, and I, you know, I always caution people, um, I think we're going to see more and more marketplaces pop up. Right. And I think when it's all said and done, Michael, I think we're going to end up with, you know, I don't know what the number is, a half a dozen, eight, 10 really legitimate, solid marketplaces and multiple carbon, water, biodiversity, et cetera, that are actually going to be able to, you know, help you. And, and, and to me, that's good from a landowner perspective. We need a variety. We don't need one or two because, we, you know, we all have different goals and objectives and how we do. And then that gives us the option to, to be flexible, to find the right one that fits, fits us. Um, the thing that scares me, and we're, we started seeing it in Texas this last year, and it really kind of actually forced us to develop this document much quicker. It was kind of, all, you know, those to-do items, uh, but it, it moved up high is that we're starting to see bad actors show up, 
right. That are about it, the quick dollar and, and, you know, uh, their contracts and things are, you know, not in favor by any means of the landowner. And then like some of those key things you mentioned, um, could really, you know, really hinder, uh, that, that family operation. And come back and bite you exactly. pretty easy. What role, if any, do you see port being able to play in this, in this field? Well, I think, you know, it comes to scale, right? We think of the 3 million acres. And one thing that I want to say that that's important to me, right? And, and I think important to you and I think important to Port is we think of those 3 million acres and we think of all those families, right? And, you know, we're, we're seeing it in Texas. And this is why it's really important for me. You know, those, like I mentioned, we're, we're reaching 50 families. Well, a lot of those easements we did, you know, say 15, 12, 10 years ago, those, those are already starting to hand over to the next generation. And I always say that that family kind of took a bite of that conservation apple and, you know, with that conservation easement, right? So that, that bite is taken, that tool is taken and utilized, but that next generation that's coming, you know, into the operation has one less bite, right? So we have to find ways and other financial incentives of these marketplaces. Well, then, see, that's one of the limitations of the voluntary market is that an existing easement isn't eligible. And to me, that's ludicrous. That landowner has taken that step to permanently protect that land. Why should he or she be penalized and and ineligible to take advantage of these programs? So that's where the work is, is they're doing the right thing. They should be able to benefit from that going forward. I agree with you, Michael. And so, you know, the additionality piece is what you bring up. And so some some marketplaces are looking at that and how they can get, a, you know, not as I say get around, but but take in advantage of that. Right. You know, I, I kind of get on I could get on my soapbox. I know you're one that loves to get on soapboxes as well. No <laughs> and <way>. never. <laughs> um, but I would say that, you know, our, our conservation model in this country is broken. You know, um, we 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 reward folks that, you know, aren't really taking care of the land. That's not their importance. And, and we hinder those ones, as you said, that have put conservation easement and conservation and doing work. And I think we have to, you know, find a new way, right. And and look at a new business model um, on this, you know, on that point is TALT is looking uh, to work with Texas A&M again and, and start looking at some papers and some research and pieces around additionality. So that's one of the, you know, one of these big goals that we have in 2023 is to kind of get that out and, and start utilizing that. And maybe it could be a basis to kind of help um, this conversation and move um, in a positive direction of opening up more doors for our, our landowners. Well, we stand ready in California to assist in any way we can because it is everything we can do to, to not just benefit our 371,000 acres and 90 ranching families, but those that, that are looking to do something more and, and should be awarded for it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's going to. And that's what I love about Port, right? I mean, these are conversations that not one organization can bring forward right. and, and make a difference. But when we collectively come together. Uh, you know, our voice is loud. You know, it's fun to, when we go back to DC a few times a year as, as port and we walk those halls and you got all these, these gals and guys in their in cowboy hats and boots that draws attention it and does. they, they notice us. And when we sit down with our portfolios say there's 3 million acres, there's hundreds and hundreds of families that we represent that, that brings some weight. 
And we have been successful with that. Uh, it does. And, you know, and this is something I, that, you know, my, my staff sure, sure gets tired of. And it's kind of been my motto from day one. Um, we have to start talking beyond the acres, Michael. And we got to start looking at it. Those three million acres. What's the impact of those three million acres? Right. And so, for instance, you know, I always kind of talk about the water story in Texas and, you know, say basically the uh, um, 275,000 acres that we have under easement now is, you know, conserving over 200,000 acre feet of water per year. Right. And those are properties from one end to the state to the other. Um, but those land stewards with that, you know, um, what is 190,000 acre feet of water? What does that mean? Well, our office is in San Antonio, seventh largest city, right, in the U.S. It's enough water to provide drinking water to the town of San Antonio for over 200 years. Wow. Right. That's the story. And I think that's the challenge that we need as our nine organizations is how do we take that three million and how do we turn, you know, the impact of that three million and really blow it out the water. Right. It's putting it in, in terms that anybody can understand. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's uh, always kind of sometimes uh, we'll, you know, have talks, right. And we're, we're talk, 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 you know, telling our, our story of, of these, you know, complicated aspects that we're talking about. So I always ask everybody, you know, in the beginning of, you know, how many water bottles, right. When we think about a, uh, is Talt able to, to fill, right. Of those, those land stewards across the state. And uh, any, any guess how many we can fill? Not even not even yeah. a clue. Yeah. Yeah. Most people, it, it, it floors them, you know, they're like a hundred, you know, hundred million or whatever. And, you know, we're, we're uh, 50 billion water bottles. Right. So it's just, I mean, you start putting in perspectives where people, no matter if they're, you know, um, we're all tied to water. Right. And we're all tied to, you know, that drinking water. And I think that's a good, you know, a good target that we can all kind of come together and understand and, and really have the light bulb moment. And that's, that's our goal that we need. And that's the things that we try to do in DC when we're going down the hall, down the halls is have those light bulb moments and, and, you know, provide solutions and, and, uh, that we can. So I know during this, this week, we're having our, this port meeting and talking about our policy goals for the coming year. And we have the 2023 farm bill is one of those big items for this year. We have a, a platform that is designed to make that program more efficient, more effective for the landowners, for, for land trusts. Uh, what's your optimism for being able to achieve our, our policy goals this year? And I think I, I'm, I'm very optimistic. You know, I think, um, I think we can build momentum. When we think of the last farm bill, uh, Michael, we, we made some head, we made a lot of headway for us. And I think we have the momentum in our favor to, you know, keep, keep going in a positive direction. I agree with that. I mean, we, we set out our list of priorities and we, I think we achieved almost every single one of them last time, you know, four years or five years ago. And I'm optimistic as well. And these are, some of these are, are higher lifts, stronger lifts than, than we would like to have or, or should be. Uh, but I think the the goals are there, the desires there, and if we can get the the folks to understand just how important it is to conserve these lands and provide the funding for it through Farm Bill, 
I mean, we're obviously interested in the conservation title, which is you know, the conservation easements, but it also includes equip and other sure. programs that benefit the, the the landowner and their conservation efforts. So we're excited. I'm excited. I know you are, and it's going to be a, a good couple of days here in Denver where we finally we refine that policy list a little bit more. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to us again as the the nine groups and us. You know, really kind of getting narrowing those key pieces that we're going to ask and. And uh, I know we're already starting to get dates on our calendars and and uh, looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have a busy year, you know, at, at the state level, too, in our um, legislation, you know, in sessions this year of, um, you know, a number of groups of trying to bring a water and land conservation fund to the state of Texas to help provide some other funding like we've talked about. And oh, that'd be great. So that's exciting. That's exciting times. And. And uh, again, I think 2023 is going to be a good year. We hope so as well. Like I said it's our 25th, so we're going to have a lot of celebrations, but a lot of work to do. And you know, they we got a great team at the California Rangeland Trust on both the the outreach and, and development side, but also our conservation side. So everybody's going to be going full bore this year. It's going to be a big one, but we're excited. You only turn 25 once. That's true. Yeah, it was, it, it was been a fun us celebrating year 15 for us. So uh, I'm looking forward to another 10 to hit our uh, silver anniversary as well. Great. Well, um, just want to say thanks again and appreciate, you know, Michael, you sharing, you know, and it's it's a it's it's great seeing both of us, you know, different issues, different things in each state, but uh, being able to share uh, our learnings and, and, uh, definitely helps us. And, and, uh, just want to thank everybody else too, uh, the listeners for joining us and uh, catch us next time beyond the fence line and tuned into the land. Thank you, Chad. We appreciate it. And I think the hotel catering staff is starting to set up. So I think that's our cue. Yep. We're out of here. Have a blessed one. Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.